Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, uh, episode 22? 20 t- uh, 22, yes. There's not that many. You'd think I'd, I could keep track of them. Uh, all right, so uh, special thanks to Doug Jones for being on the last episode. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and, and as I said uh, before, I really appreciate his candor. And, uh, and thanks to everybody for uh, the nice uh, things that they emailed me. Uh, regarding the episode, uh, it was it was very nice. So, um, all right, but that's that's in the past. Today's the present. We got another guest. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm in a goofy mood. Um, uh, we got Corey Edwards here. I was hoping I could be the future. You could be if you like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, don't let me stop you. <laughs> I will take you to the future today. Tyler. <laughs> the future is now, as yes. far as I'm concerned. Um, all right, so Corey uh, is a direct, a writer director. Yes, you wrote and directed Hoodwinked. Yeah, I did a, f- a film that you'll be excited to know. I saw not in preparation for this show. I saw it on my own years ago, and I actually enjoyed wow, it. Wow, that's yeah. good. I love when people stumble upon it. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, because you have family and friends that make it a point to go out and see it. But it's right, nice right. When- I still get emails just all over the place. People just like, you know, I finally, finally pulled it off the DVD shelf at Blockbuster. My mm-hmm. kids bugged me, and it was nice. Yeah. It's funny. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. So, And then there was and it was a, a tangent already, I guess. It, it, it came, like, right in the middle of – because, like, the Shrek movies were going on, so, like, there was, right. like, a, a lot of pressure, I imagine, to be like, well, it's, you know – Yeah, how is it not Shrek? Right, yeah. right. We uh, always ask ourselves that question. And then there was another one that came out called Happily Never After yes. that came out after I, afterwards, yes. I believe. Um, and that one did not get very good reviews. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have to say I haven't seen it, but it uh, does have a sequel. Okay. It was kind of a parallel production right beside ours. And, okay. And we, we were very conscious of, of some productions that were similar, uh, similar models, production yeah. models, in that privately funded, not a big studio film. Mm-hmm. A lot of those were popping up right while we were finishing Hoodwinked. But yeah. I, I think we were one of the first, if not the first, yeah. to do it outside the studio system, get picked up by a studio, have theatrical release, and do well. There haven't been very many of those. So would you go so far as to say that Happily Never After just copied you guys or just stole <laughs> the idea? <laughs> they, they cribbed from us. I don't know. You know, weird things happen in entertainment, in the mm-hmm. movies. Like, our movie has a squirrel that talks really fast yeah. and then drinks coffee and then goes berserk. Right. And then about six to eight months later, Over the Hedge comes out and it oh, has yeah. a squirrel in it that talks really fast and drinks a sports drink and goes ah. berserk. Ah. We screened Hoodwink for Jeffrey Katzenberg when we were shopping it around town. Hmm. You know, he watched like 15 minutes of it and left and said, I'll have to watch the rest later. My people are watching it. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> and um, so... I have to wonder sometimes how things yeah, get yeah. passed around town. But huh. I, have, I have a friend who, who went into audition for a part for that a year earlier. He said, no, the squirrel was always in it. So hmm. maybe it's just a big year for squirrels. I guess so. And, I, and it makes me, you know, I mean, Ice Age had that right. scrat Scrat. Scrat's all over Ice Age. So. Yeah. So maybe they were inspired by him. I yeah. don't know. I mean, you know, Twitchy, <laughs> let's talk about Twitchy the Squirrel for a minute. Right. He comes from a long line of fast-talking rodents. I mean, you've got Alvin and the Chipmunks. He was really based on a little baby bunny that's in a Bugs Bunny cartoon with Pete Puma. I don't know if you remember. No, I don't. Pete Puma. I remember Pete. I do remember Pete Puma. a rabbit in the hole. He's going to eat him up. And then yeah. Bugs Bunny saves this little bunny rabbit who is basically Mel Blanc's voice just speeded up a mile a minute. And so, hmm. you know, there, there are a lot of characters that like that. And, and to address the Shrek thing, um, you know, I feel like we knew Shrek was out there. And mm-hmm. so I made a real conscious effort to make it look different than Shrek. And the tone is different than Shrek. We don't make, you don't see a medieval version of Macy's department store in our movie. Right, right. Um, but we will allude to 
like action movie cliches from Spider-Man right. and Mission Impossible when Granny's hanging upside down and sweat stripping off her face. And, right, right. Um, so we tried to sidestep the Shrek, and, and what is it that we can be that, that Shrek isn't? Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, we don't have as many get-kicked-in-the-crotch jokes or fart jokes either. Um, yeah. Um, or, or uncomfortable innuendo to put in a kid's movie. That oh man, that always bothered me about Shrek, where I was just like, and, and uh, listeners of Battleship Pretension know from our, one of our very first episodes that this has always been a, a pet peeve of mine with modern, uh, I won't say children's films, but family films, right? That there it's just like, oh, but look, see, this one's for adults because look at this thing that is really not, I hate to say it, a pro- I don't sound, want to sound like a prude, but like not really appropriate for a family right. film. It's clearly like, okay, well that's something for the adults. Right. And then here's something for children. But if you look at some at, at some family films, they're just good enough that everyone will like them. Films like The Incredibles, you know, Absolutely. and Finding Nemo, just like there's no there's no adult humor in there. There's just solid humor that everyone can laugh at. Yeah. Well, I you know, I'm not a prude either and and we can get into this later, but the content of things I want to do is is going to grow to the things that maybe even will be R-rated content as far as its its intensity or mm-hmm. or whatever, but but you know, yeah, if you're making an animated movie that you want families to go see, just know your audience and yeah. and and I will see some things that I'm like, you don't know your audience. Yeah. And uh the people in the middle of the country that fly over country that that <laughs> that pay for all the tickets, they are, do not appreciate that. And I'm not just yeah. talking about Christian parents. I've had people come up to me after screenings and just say, "Thank you for making a movie <laughs> that doesn't have anything in it that I have to explain to my kid on the way home or avoid explaining." Right. And there's just a lot of it. And so, you know, I I'm pretty proud of that with with the Hoodwink movies, but um I, and 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 the, I, I just want to get back to the Shrek thing is that right. I feel like Hoodwinked is from a long line of fairy tale parody that goes back to you know Bugs Bunny cartoons yeah. and Rocky and Bullwinkle's fractured fairy tales. Mm-hmm. I mean that this is these are this is an eight hundred year old story we're skewering anyway. I mean right. it's just but it's yeah but it is going to be compared to Shrek and I know that yeah. it is and it always is. So yeah. hey, why not? Shrek was a big hit. <laughs> why not? <laughs> And that's and that's the thing is I I feel like a comparison it's it's absolutely going to be there but just in gen- even without the parody aspect it's based on a fairy tale Disney's been doing it for years right like, I I don't think there's anything necessarily unoriginal about Hoodwinked or even Happily Never After I was joking when I said right. you stole from them <laughs> uh, they stole from you um, but uh, and we have our set of rules in our universe in Hoodwinked and mm-hmm. we we kept it in the woods uh, the sequel is going to go to a city environment okay but. But yeah, you know, we we had one of our rules was that there is no magic in our world. Okay. There is no no uh, fairy godmothers or or um, you know fairy magic or wands or that kind of stuff. Right. Well, hang you on for that. The yeah, cops are outside. That's fine. I don't know if you can hear that. So. Um, but yeah, so so our world was a very practical world. Mm-hmm. So like Red Riding Hood has to ride her bike and make deliveries, and it's a very like you know you've got you've got a paper route kind of a right. life that she lives and and but there are animals that talk. So I mean, our rule was more of the Bugs Bunny kind of world of animals and people just lived they co coexist together. Mm-hmm. Animals wear clothes and drive cars. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of almost like the Muppet list of rules. Yeah, it does kind of have that that vibe to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, all right, well let's. Uh, Oh man, I got ahead of myself. Yeah, I, I am so, tangent I so, man. I Learn so, from me. I got so wrapped up. I'm a train with many mm-hmm. tracks. All right, let's let's go back to the be. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Um, by by beginning, I don't mean let's start over. I mean let's <laughs> let's let's circle. Take back. two more intensity. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I was wrong. Throw some swear words in, please. I want to. Okay. I want to. I want to. You know, appeal to an adult <laughs> audience. Um, but uh, all right. So, uh, 
So this is kind of a, a simple question. Whereabouts uh, were you were you born and raised? Uh, I grew, I was born in Anderson, Indiana. Okay, and I actually ended up going to school there in Indiana, and but grew up most of my childhood in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, and uh, that is where you know I, I feel very fortunate to be doing for a living what I wanted to do when I was like seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I remember in Columbus, Ohio, being in the front yard and in the neighborhoods with the Super Eight camera, oh, my yeah. brother and sister and I all working on movies together, and uh, we're still doing it. But your your brother and sister are as well. Yeah, well, okay. and I mean, I need to point out, I I was the director of Hoodwink, but I had two co directors that, that okay. really like shored me up and helped you know, and they were my two co writers too. And it's mm-hmm. Tony Leach, who's a, a guy I've done like written sketch comedy with for twenty years, fifteen years, mm-hmm. and then my brother Todd, okay. who uh, you know obviously I've I've done a lot of writing and working with him all my life. Mm-hmm. So the two of them were kind of my co directors. Okay, and they were overseas at, at the Philippine studio when I couldn't be. Mm. Uh, which was a whole adventure in itself. And now Todd is also, you know, he's a writer-director. He's just finished his third film. Okay. It's an independent film that they're taking around to festivals right now. Mm-hmm. And then my sister is a producer, and she produced, she was uh, a coordinator and kind of uh, got upgraded uh, during Hoodwinked to associate producer. And now she's producing for my brother's company, Blue Yonder Films. So nice. she produced his last film. All right, well, that actually... All uh, in the family. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Um, now, what did your... Uh, well, okay, were you were you raised uh, in the in the church, or was that something that came about yes. later? Yes. Okay. I mean, I wasn't literally raised in a church. Like, well, uh, yeah, I would yeah. wake up in the morning and walk out into a sanctuary. Okay, no, I got, okay, I got you. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll they refra- put me in the belfry. I'll rephrase. Uh, <laughs> but yes, but I mean, I know what you're saying. Uh, my dad was a pastor. I was a pastor's oh, really? kid. Okay. Um, so he was a pastor for, um, man, I guess 15, 18 years. It's hard to count now but i grew up with my dad as a pastor of mm-hmm. the church i went to and uh now he's the president of anderson university which huh. is the college i went to oh, wow. not at the time that i was going there but yeah yeah but he's had a long history there um so yeah there, there's a certain level of expectation being a pastor's kid but also i had that that uh kind of not a conversion experience but kind of that the reboot experience at youth camp where, oh, right, like in seventh yeah, yeah. grade where i was like this is my faith now. It's not mm-hmm. just my parents' faith. But I went to Sunday school all growing up. Yeah, I was the I was the good kid that other kids like despised because I was so good. Oh, I was man. the rule keeper. If only you they know? could see your sideburns. I now. wasn't the yeah. I wasn't the uh, the Hellraiser pastor's kid. Okay. I was the the the. Hey, the speed limit is thirty five. <laughs> Let's go thirty three just to be yeah. on the safe yeah. side. Um, well, what? Uh, okay, so it, it, as as it would appear, all the children in the family. Uh, you know, had uh, artistic aspirations. Um, did your parents? Uh, did they like encourage that, or uh, like yeah. what was the attitude? Well, I mean, you know, I say my dad was a pastor, but he was also um, an educator. He, he was getting his PhD as I was growing up, and my mom is an educator in in uh, early childhood development, and um, and she's still uh, doing programs, after school programs for kids. So it's kind of like having, uh, you know. Uh, parents that are a teacher and a pastor, like the two human beings that you never want looking over your shoulder all your life. <laughs> there they were. Um, but they also, uh, man, my mom encouraged so much creativity. She would drive us to any Saturday morning art class or music class that we wanted to take. So mm-hmm. there was a constant uh, spirit of encouragement in our house, whatever we wanted to do. I, I I feel so sorry when I talk to friends of mine who are in the business now or mm-hmm. never quite got into the business because their parents kind of guided them away from it. Like, no, yeah. oh, you really need to, Go get a career that's gonna that's gonna pay. Right, right. That's gonna be a little more sturdy. And my parents have seen us go through some high and low, low times. Yeah. But they've always been like, go do it. Go go do what you 
want to do that makes you happy. And I think they also feel like, I mean, they saw talent in all of us. Mm-hmm. They're like, we just naturally fell into, I mean, we would put on these elaborate puppet shows for the daycare yeah. of our church. And I mean like <laughs> cardboard sets, a cast of 15 or 20 puppets, uh, music cues. And then we got into sketches that we would perform at, at, at church talent shows. And so there was always just something that, uh, I mean, we even took like our, our, uh, our tape recorder and made radio programs before we got a Super 8 camera in our hands. Mm-hmm. So it was a constant state of, my mom would facilitate, what kind of art project do you want to work on today? Like on a Saturday or after school. Yeah. And that segued into, we started kind of self-starting things yeah. that we wanted to do with cameras or paint or cartoons. And, and she would just go get whatever supplies we needed. I, we have old Super 8 movies, adventure movies we made, mm-hmm. where my mom is doubling for the driver of the getaway car. <laughs> like, I get in the car, I pull a hat down low over my face, and then there's mom driving the, the getaway station wagon, because we didn't have a license. So she facilitated anything. Yeah, in the, uh, in the parody of Aliens that I made, yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah? It's uh, it like, alright, uh, <laughs> my, my friend whose name also happened to be Tyler, I was just like, alright, so... <laughs> Put you know, put this hat on. Try not to show your face as you get in, uh-huh. and then mom here. I'm going to need you to tra- change into these like green military fatigues. <laughs> yeah, vehicles are always a problem for young filmmakers. <laughs> you either got to cut to the model that you're pulling on a string, <laughs> or you got to cut to mom or dad and get a helmet on their face or something. Right, that's the key. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, all right. So it sounds like you, you know, you're very encouraged by your parents, by the church community in general. Yeah. Um, so you went to where? Did, so where did you go to college again? I'm sorry, Anderson, oh, Anderson University. Okay, it's a Christian liberal arts college. Okay, in Anderson. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Very close to Indianapolis, and and uh, yeah, it's okay. it's a it's a good Christian environment, but it's also just like, hey guys, now's your time to explore what you want to do mm-hmm. and why your faith is your own faith, and yeah. you know, and I tried. I tried every avenue I could at Anderson as far as, like, my freshman year. I don't know. Maybe it's typical of most people's freshman year. I signed up for the radio station DJ. I was on the yearbook <laughs> staff. I was, uh, I, you know, I signed up for all these groups. Yeah. And uh, burned myself out my freshman year, but kind of figured out what I was good at or what I wanted to do. And they had a broadcast uh, major, but mm-hmm. they didn't have a film major. Okay. So I kind of did some independent study stuff on my own of, you know, uh, stuff on video and film that mm-hmm. my professors let me tinker with. But again, I, I, a lot of what I do today was I started building on like in my high school years, just mm-hmm. my own independent study of film, you know, checking books out of the library and stuff mm-hmm. on film and just kind of obsessing over it. So by the time I got to college, it was more like just the practical, um, here's how to get into any f- facet of the business. And, yeah. and it was broadcasting and some of my first jobs were for production companies. And I just yeah. knew production by that point. Okay. Um, so when did you, uh, so you, you graduated and then you came out to, uh, to Tinseltown? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. Okay. Took a little 10 year detour in oh, Tulsa, okay. Oklahoma. Tulsa. Well, what's in Tulsa? Well, it's the Mecca of entertainment. It is. Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> well, here's the interesting thing. You never, you never know where your path will take you. And I think that, you know, it would have made more sense to get out of college, come, come to LA and get a job on the lot or something, mm. uh, any lot. But, uh, my demo tape got in the hands of a guy named Stephen Yake, who was a big director producer for Christian music videos and a lot of client videos in that in that Christian television arena. Mm-hmm. And he was in Tulsa, and 
I got my first job and it was a, a job where I learned everything. I learned, like, I got to be on a film set. I got to see like dollies and cranes and like we did like Carmen videos and worked with Sandy Patty and Michael W. Smith and <laughs> Petra. We did some Petra <laughs> videos. But I got to tell you, I got to do everything. I got to see 35 millimeter cameras and, and, and a full grip truck and oh, that's what the AD does and mm-hmm. um, oh, that's what PAs do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm carrying oh, everything. They like I'm everything. carrying sandbags yeah. but I'm learning where all the stuff in the grip truck goes and then i'm sitting in as an assistant editor with steve and it's like mm. then he let me edit some of the videos and then i came kind of came up through editing and wow. then he's like you know what why don't you direct this video uh it's wow. a smaller client so then i started directing music videos so i kind of came up through editing music videos directing music videos and then had also had the benefit of of being in the blue collar part of it and being on the set and seeing mm-hmm. how how a how a crew functions yeah and how how a day goes on production where like the first two hours, it feels like nothing's getting done. And at the end of the day, it's like everybody's like, like yeah. frantically working to, to be done by a certain time. Cause you're going to lose the artist or you're going to lose right. your crew and hmm. all that fascinating stuff, all the nitty gritty that goes into getting the shots. You learned I learned, I learned for five years at that company, then left that company and started my own company. Uh, it was blue yonder films with okay. my brother and a few other guys. So that, that company has, uh, uh, evolved and changed and, and it is still a company and my you know it's facilitating my brother's films and I'm doing my own thing with my company but I think those that was another five years in Tulsa okay. where we were just this these guys with like just trying to get clients right. and shoot like industrials and some uh-huh. music videos and again that was that was another hard lessons learned about running your own production company yeah and all the while trying to get our own original stuff made. Mm-hmm. And then finally, my brother wrote and directed a film called Chillicothe, okay. um, which went to Sundance in 1999. Uh-huh. And I was a producer on that. I acted as one of the leads in it. Hmm. Uh, Todd's the lead character in it. And it's kind of a biographical, funny look at our that phase of our lives where you just get out of college and you don't know what to do with the rest of your life. Yeah, And so uh, we called it a chick flick for guys. Huh. Um, kind of a gentle comedy. A lot of inside jokes we brought to the movie. And so that went to Sundance, and that was huge for us. We, we had that whole whirlwind Sundance experience. Yeah. We had agents courting us. We, had, we did press, and we had like five sold-out screenings. And we're like, oh, there's Ben Affleck coming out of a coffee shop. Like we were seeing, there's Tim <laughs> Roth. You know, it's like, it was all exciting. Uh, and it was also the year that Blair Witch uh, was the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So it was the big sale that year, and we, it took us two more years to get a distributor. Mm-hmm. But it kind of gave us our first contacts, and that was the point where we said, let's move to L.A. And then since then, it's been kind of like feast and famine, feast and famine, yeah. hopping through all the hoops out here to get original projects made. But, but that, was, that was our first mini breakthrough, and that, after about five years in L.A., Hoodwinked was our big breakthrough. That's yeah. what I will always look at as my major foothold in the industry as to what I'm doing now. Now, a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, who yes. uh, we know each other through, um, he told me, <laughs> I guess I, I, I'm just a, a glutton for this sort of thing, and maybe I shouldn't be, but uh, so word on the street is that, uh, and you mentioned just now that you are part of, uh, you know, you're part of the Christian film industry insofar as like you're directing music videos and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but, uh, but Jason tells me that you... When you came out here, did you did you uh, attempt to be uh, more a part of it, or, or what's? Uh... No, you know when I left um, the Stevie Ake Productions crew mm-hmm. and and that Tulsa scene, I think as we got out of that, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a still Christian guy, but the Christian television industry and production industry doesn't interest me. Okay, 
Uh, since I've been a kid, I wanted to make the next Star Wars, the next Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Uh, my needs are simple. <laughs> if I could launch the next major franchise, you know, films like Avatar and Lord of the Rings, like those are the films I've wanted to make my whole life. Mm-hmm. And right now, there really isn't a Christian pocket for that. I, th- there isn't a Christian film industry. There's just Christians trying to make it in the film industry. Okay. And anyway, so, yeah, I haven't been like... okay chasing down the next left behind series or anything okay. i'm not i'm not really interested in that and quite frankly i find there's a lot of eggshell walking mm-hmm. once you label yourself as a christian filmmaker yeah. or making films for the christian market it's incredibly limiting mm-hmm. and uh you know we talked before we this the show started rolling about about content and where right. your line is everybody's got a different line yeah. but when you're just a filmmaker like nobody questions where jim cameron's line is or yeah. uh you know he just makes a, a movie mm-hmm. and uh, that's I, I really would like like at the end of the day to just make a movie and let people like know what my ideals are and my faith through maybe the stories I'm telling mm. and not um, you know I think the, the the music industry for a long time you would go into a music store and find Christian music right in this one little section <laughs> and in that one little section in the music store it's like there's there's hip hop and country and and easy listening and it's like it's all packed in this Christian section Bill Gaither Bill yeah Gaither's yeah in there. some homecoming. <laughs> Some homecoming friends. I know the homecoming friends. Believe me, done a lot with them. And uh, but I wish that stuff was sprinkled throughout the entire music store, so that I would go to the hip hop section and happen to find a an artist who happens to be a Christian, but mm-hmm. they're just making hip hop music that has their their ideals in the lyrics. Yeah, that's. I'm trying to say that's what I want to do in the film industry because I, I don't feel like there is there isn't really a Christian film industry. There's not a Christian studio. Yeah, there's just Christians out here trying to do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And some people are a little more blatant about it, and some people aren't. Yeah. And, you know, I fall somewhere in there. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, Hoodwinked is not an right, evangelical right. film. Right. You know, Red does not get saved at the end. But <laughs> Which I, I always view it as a, as a flaw. That's yeah. just me. Well, you know, I my, think... my mantra has always been um, entertainment first, message second, which, yeah. sounds, which sounds bad to some Christians, but, but nobody cares about your message if they're not being entertained. And, and a lot of Christian artists, whether it's music or film or whatever... They're so excited about their message that they just kind of like really put it out there in front. Yeah. And they're really broad about it. Yeah. And they, you know, and they haven't gotten, they haven't done the homework to make the entertainment good. Yeah. So, you know, get an entertaining story and then whatever message you want is going to filter through there and your audience will be eating out of the palm of your hand. Yeah. Once they've been wowed by the entertainment. If yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've mentioned it, I think on this show before that uh, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of, Christian artists in the sense that they identify themselves as, as Christian artists. Um, like you said, it for them, it's it's message first and enter, n- entertainment, not even necessarily second. Like mm-hmm. if that's it's incidental more than anything, yeah. um, because to them, like art, whether, as you say, whether it be music or film or whatever, um, it's just a delivery device for this message. Yeah. Art and, is chasing the message. Right. And I'm like, art is art. Yeah. And what are you filling it with? You're filling it with a message. Yeah with what you want to say to the world. Yeah. Um, and I, I, working in the Christian TV and music video business, I saw a lot of Christian artists who were chasing the most recent musical trend. Yeah. I mean, it's like if, if Riverdance was hot that year or whatever, <laughs> uh, or if like a metal rap combo was really hot in pop music that year, sure enough, there'd be some Christian version of that that would yeah. chase it. And it's like, why are we chasing a trend? Yeah. Why aren't we just out there being the trend? Yeah. And oh, oh, by the way, you might find out 
that that this person is a Christian or this person believes in God in this way. Yeah. And any time that you uh, with film especially uh, music, I guess you know they're both they're, they're both kind of in this way where it's just yes uh, oh well these kinds of movies or whatever they're they're really big uh-huh. let's try and do that but first like it's literally like a total lack of originality yeah and what you lack in originality oh well we'll just make up for it with uh uh spiritual commitment and uh-huh. uh and just like no one well, I, I know some christian artists that. that talk about never selling out like never yeah. sell out meaning you know always put jesus in whatever you're doing but then i would turn around to those those artists and say but artistically i see you selling out every day <laughs> Like completely, like not, not holding yourself to like something better yeah. artistically, hmm. uh, you know. So it's like, you know, you 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 are selling out. Now, what are the? Uh, I guess we'll go back uh, a little bit um, because you know something that I've that I've always thought is that, uh, you know, if, if a Christian, you know, feels that they are supposed to go into filmmaking or or any kind of artistic uh, field, um, you know, as as you said, like you kind of. At first, you kind of educated yourself. You went out and found books, and you know. And for myself, before I went to film school, I just immersed myself in in film in movies that, you know, I, I found certain critics that I kind of agreed with, and then it's just like, okay, well, they say this is really good. I'll give it a watch and see right. what I think. Um, and I feel like that's you have to have a knowledge of what is considered to be good artistically before you're ever going to uh, develop and. And if you're going to try and de- deliver a nuanced message, you know, the art needs to come first. Um, what are some of the movies that uh, that really... I mean, you mentioned Star Wars and Indiana Jones, but uh, are what are some of the other movies that you say, oh, that's absolutely wanna, what I want to try and do? Um, you know, it's funny because I want to be a live-action filmmaker, but just about every Pixar movie mm-hmm. is like... Um, will school you in storytelling. Mm-hmm. It just devastates me, every single one. Like, <laughs> up, just like... Well, first of all, emotionally, it just, like, wasted me, like, the first 20 minutes. Yeah. But, I mean, like, like when, when that old man does the cross-your-heart thing, mm-hmm. it's not even a written line of dialogue. Yeah. But it is like, it says everything about, you know, who he was for his wife, and so you're just like, wow, how did they do that? <laughs> uh, so, so Pixar is... They're just, like, a gold standard... And, and, and then even dialogue and, and the ways that they can be funny uh, without kind of going going the crass route. I mean, yeah. uh, and, and, and or the pop, you know, let, let's let's do a zinger about the iPad because it came out this year. <laughs> you know, like there's all that there, there. I get so many studio notes that are just chasing stuff, chasing the next good zinger about the recent fad. And Pixar doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Their their movies will last 10, 20 years from now. And the humor still stands up because it's about the characters bouncing off of each other. So mm-hmm. I have a lot to say about how great Pixar is and their process. Uh, but other movies that I grew up with and, and uh, it's, it's really educational to, to, we did this uh, in the early days of blue yonder films where we were just a bunch of guys just starting the company. We found this database of like almost every film ever made. And we all started like carving it down to our top, 100 our top mm-hmm. 50 our top 10 films and you really have to start asking yourself questions about yourself and yeah. it tells you a lot and my, my top 10 are like real gee whiz kind of films <laughs> um star wars was at the top star wars and empire strikes back and back to the future mm-hmm. um the incredibles is now on that top yeah. 10 list firmly there um and 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 those movies just say uh, they they say important things mm-hmm. And they don't. And this goes back to what is your message? I mean, if you find a universal truth that resonates with your audience, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, it crosses all boundaries suddenly. 
I think Avatar is 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 so immensely successful right now because it's just it's resonating with people. People want to hear this right now that that technology isn't our savior, mm-hmm. that big business isn't our savior, that that you know. There are things that if you went out to the middle of nowhere and found like this guy living in a village, he might be happier than you. Mm-hmm. And here's why, you know, these simple things that they're important mm-hmm. and spiritual things. Um, um, so, you know, it, it's I find that interesting. And Star Wars is, uh, you know, I, I'm going to geek out for a moment here because when you're a kid, you watch Star Wars and it's just like good guys, bad guys, laser swords. Awesome. <laughs> and then you become like a teenager and an adult and you start to see what it's saying about government and what mm. it's saying. And I'm talking about the original movies yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the original movie, a new hope it, it, it's, you start seeing oh, all this stuff about like the spiritual side of life and, and friendship and sacrifice. And, and there, there's just all these layers to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a civil war. And this is a government that they opposed. And you know, like, like I started to get more out of it. And so I think that it's a great film when you can enjoy it as a kid and then you can enjoy it on another level as an adult as you grow. Like you grow, the film grows up with you mm-hmm. somehow. The film becomes a new film. Uh, that's amazing to me. And and Star Wars is a pretty simple story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I guess the genius I find in Star Wars is all the uh, the the new archetypes he gave us. That he, he Lucas gave us a new fairy tale. Mm-hmm. All these archetypes that were kind of old for kids. You know, he this new generation he gave them. You know, new bad guys and good guys that represented a lot of stuff in folklore and fairy tales. Yeah. That in Joseph Campbell's, uh, you know, uh, hero with a thousand faces. And, mm-hmm. you know, he just gave us a new quest character in Luke Skywalker. But he, he might as well be, you know, from a medieval fairy tale. Um, you know, so I, I find Star Wars kind of genius in its simplicity. Yeah. I don't think Lucas even knew what he did. <laughs> apparently yeah i i've actually i've thought that that of, of course i loved it when i when i was a kid who didn't uh and then as i got older you know and uh got into high school and probably even the first few years of college um you know i i thought it was the simplicity almost turned me off of it there's a there's a time where you kind of embarrassed you like star wars right i think for fans of that movie and then you realize no this is almost perfect this film like it's just you know the 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 thing that I that I bring up uh, a lot is just like you said, like Lucas. I don't think he even really knew what he did, but like the creation of Darth Vader mm-hmm. is such a beautiful. It's such a perfect blend of like the way he looks, mm-hmm. what he says, how he sounds, and how he <laughs> moves. Like everything about him is such a perfect creation. Oh, so much of that movie. This is a how old is this movie now? It's like thirty years old. Uh, you know. I think uh, 30, Empire, Empire Strikes Back is celebrating like a 25th, I think. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. Anniversary. But it, it's just to see how old that film is and that, that you know, I, I'm an artist too growing up, you know, loving art and, and just the designs, mm-hmm. the designs of the Stormtrooper helmet, of R2-D2, of, of Vader's yeah. mask. They stand up today. You see other movies that were made during that time and the design does not stand up. We make fun of it. Yeah. The sound production that Ben Burt did stands up today. It's yeah. just like the creation of the sound effects. You talk about how Vader sounded. Yeah. It's and you know, it's just like and and the music, the uh, the soundtrack. What, just now, everybody is chasing J- John Williams to yeah. this day. Yeah, and all that stuff was like all in one package. You know, I, I just it was like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it really is. It's fascinating Star, because I was I was born in eighty two, so Star Wars and mm. Empire had been around for you know a, a few years mm. when I was born, and so when I was and then when I was old enough to actually remember things. Uh, Return of the Jedi had come out, so I, I watched all three of them over and over again. <laughs> and so, and even now, when I think back, it's hard to. 
I know this is going to sound strange. It's hard to believe there was ever a time when Star Wars didn't exist. Yeah, well, it's interesting since you were born in 80, you said you were born in 82? Yeah. Man, I feel so old. Sorry. But so you didn't even have like that first theatrical experience. Mm-mm. And you still are now like a fan of the like that's yeah. that's also incredible that 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 each generation discovers these movies. Yeah. And that's like I don't know how you do that. I mean, how do I do that as a filmmaker create something that stands that test of time? Yeah. I don't. I, I can't wait to introduce my kid. My kid is three years old, and I'm waiting until he's the right age to introduce him to this. And it's kind of like, like two weeks ago, I introduced him to Bugs Bunny for the first time. Nice. And we start watching these cartoons because he's old enough to now understand you don't hit somebody on the head with a hammer. Yeah, that's well. That's good. <laughs> I hope. That's... But he's just like, oh my gosh, Bugs Bunny. Oh my gosh, Yosemite Sam, and um, you know what's his name? That's Sylvester. That's Tweety. You know. And then uh, I introduce him to the Muppets. This is Kermit and Fozzie. Like yeah. these different universes of characters so i'm waiting on star wars because it's a little more intense yeah um but it's going to be exciting to see him discover it yeah my my uh nephew is i believe eight at this point and uh my brother has just started introducing him <laughs> at an older age than my parents introduced me to raiders of the lost ark uh-huh. you know I, I was watching it since i was like four wow and of course terrified yeah by it the ending of that will mess you up <laughs> i think it did actually, what's happening <laughs> but uh and I remember, you know, it's it's such a weird thing because Indiana Jones is also incredibly uh, simple without, I'd say, being simplistic. Simplistic almost sounds insulting, but like... Uh, it's clear and direct. It very much... Yeah. It might be the clearest. It's, a, it's another one that just like, yeah, rocked yeah. my world. But the, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think back on... Um, excuse me. I think back on, on some of these films like Star Wars, like Indiana Jones, and I, and I feel like... Because now I'm starting to feel a little old, mm-hmm. and it's just like... Well, modern kids like these movies, you know, kids with their, you know, uh, yeah. 3D images and stuff, you know. It's, right. And then, it, and then, of course, but that's the thing is just like, if a movie's good, it's good. Yeah. And, well, and a kid th- will understand. And my nephew loves Raiders of the Lost Ark. And if a story's good, a story is a story is a story. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's been fear that like, well, our, our kids who are into games, um, you know, hoodwink mess with a linear timeline. You know, mm-hmm. are, are, are kids now not even going to like sit down for a linear story anymore? Yeah. And I, I think those fears are, are bunk. I think that yeah. it's a good story is a good story. And there'll be trends where, where the edits will get faster or yeah. the camera work will get shakier. And I, I think those are just trends that swing back. Yeah. It's, it's the good stuff is always the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think I allowed us to get a little sidetracked, but yeah. that's all right. There's nothing wrong with Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. and Star Wars will always sidetrack me. <laughs> you hold out a poster of Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'll drive off the road and wander into the woods. It's like Hansel and Gretel and breadcrumbs and candy. Um, okay, so uh, so let's uh, so let's get you into Hollywood now. You're here. Okay. Yeah. You 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 had some uh, some ups and downs. Yeah. Um, how did you uh, finally land uh, Hoodwinked? How did that happen? That came out of, you know, I talked about Chillicothe going to Sundance. That was our Sundance film. And we mm-hmm. had many investors on that at a small investor level. Somebody could get into that film like five to ten grand. Yeah. We had investors at that level. So one of our investors was this random acquaintance through um, a producer friend of ours. And he's a guy that lives up in San Francisco. And, and he's, he wanted to get into the movies on an executive producer level. So we go up there to San Francisco with a bunch of live. This is after Chillicothe, and you know, and like maybe he'll write some big checks. And so we went up there, and um, it was actually my. I remember it was my brother and one of our producers, Preston Stutzman, and they were up there with a bunch of our live action projects. 
And uh, for some reason, I couldn't be up at that meeting. And they came home, and they were like, you're not going to believe this. He didn't want to do any of these live-action scripts. Like, we had four Mm -hmm. or five projects we wanted to get going. He said, but they looked at this animation stuff that we're doing. Like, I had directed this this thing called Wobots, about a kid and a gang of robots Mm -hmm. that save the day. Yeah. And it was a 3D CGI thing. And he's like, he wants to do animation. He wants to do an animated movie. Hmm. And they were like, well, you know... Corey, what do you think? Could you direct this? And you and Todd write it. And, you know, Todd eventually became a co-director with me. And, and uh, but it was all new territory. We, I mean, I had directed some very short animated stuff, 30 to 40 minutes, direct a video. And I'd had a history of kind of working in animation too. But we're like, oh, sure, sure we can do that. Because we were so desperate for someone to write us a check to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, yeah, sure we can do it. And you kind of agree to something not really knowing how you're going to pull it off. And you're like, we're smart guys. We'll pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> we had no animation studio lined up. We had nothing lined up. And so we just uh, we didn't even have a story. And he, this investor was like, I would love to get into animation. And, and the technology was just at a level where I think we could buy the same software that was being used by the big boys and, and get in on this. It, it, was, it was just a real interesting pocket of time. Mm-hmm. It's before this explosion that we are now in yeah. where there are 10 animated movies a year or yeah. more. This was still like one to two animated movies a year yeah and nobody in the independent world had gotten in on this right so he was willing to write some checks and we pitched him this idea uh i think todd originally came up with uh, a red riding hood told in a non-linear crime story way mm-hmm. and i thought that's a movie i want to see yeah that's like super cool idea for a kid's movie and so as we did that we went from our expectations rose from doing a directed to video thing yeah. to a theatrical thing when we got the script done our expectations rose again like could we get real actors for this not just like Friends who do funny voices, yeah. and and then Patrick Warburton signed on as the Wolf with with no money on the table, no knowledge of a distrib- uh, distributor. Yeah, and once he got Im- involved, like like we got Andy Dick, and we got like all these other like big voice actors from, uh, you know, hit animated shows, and so then our expectations went up again, and 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 instead of trying to do it stateside, one of our producers said, "Well, I know a group of animators in the Philippines, and our money is going to go a lot further." Mm-hmm. The economy made, you know, economics made sense. Um, so then we rented this house, this like, you know, five, five, six bedroom house in the Philippines in Manila. And we rented that for about the cost that like I would rent an apartment here in L.A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and we were able to pay uh, the animators there who were just out of art school. You know, they, they maybe some of them had worked on commercials. That's it. Mm-hmm. We were able to hire a bunch of animators, fill that house with computers and pay those guys pretty well for their standard of living i think they they were all making a pretty good living working for our our film but again it was a fraction of what we'd have to pay animators here yeah so all said and done three and a half years later we had an animated an animated film that was at a resolution i think it was like 4k resolution is what they call it but that could be put on a big screen and you know it's it ain't shrek as far as quality it ain't Mm -hmm. dreamworks or pixar quality But it, 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 it was at least at the point where you could put it on the big screen and, and accept it. Yeah. And uh, we had no distributor. And the, pri- the price tag kept rising because people kept coming on board. Like Skywalker Sound hmm. heard about our film. We had some contacts through our producers. They wanted to mix it. It's Skywalker. So we went to Skywalker Ranch <laughs> and mixed our film, our tiny film. And so the price tag kind of kept going up. But we ended at about $8 million. Mm-hmm. Now, to put that in perspective, something like... You know, The Incredibles is like a hundred fifty to two hundred yeah. million dollar budget. Yeah. So ours was eight. So even that it got done, the fact that the movie even got done is yeah. amazing to me. 
Uh, and then the fact that at the end of it all, after showing to every studio in town, who kind of all had their pet projects and were starting up their own animation divisions. Mm-hmm. This is right when that was happening. You know, now every studio has an animation. Most studios do. They yeah. have an animated division. So that was just starting. So they were all kind of like uh, close to the vest on what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And they, a lot of the studios enjoyed our movie, but it just didn't fit into their plan at all. And then here comes Bob and Harvey Weinstein selling off Miramax literally the same year we're finishing Hoodwinked. Hmm. And they want to stick it to Disney. They want to beat them at their own game. They want to start a new company. And they're buying up product as fast yeah. as they can to put out. So Hoodwink was one of their first purchases as far as a deal they made with our executive producer. And, and so it, and it, to this day, it is still one of their biggest hits hmm. from their new young company. Um, so it, it was, it was, I would say it's divine, this intersection of uh, the Weinstein starting a company and needing a, a family film yeah. and us needing a distributor at the 11th hour. And when they came in, then they, you know, Harvey is a pretty savvy marketer. And he said, we, we got to have some bigger names in this thing. Would you consider recasting some of these roles? So literally at the last minute, they had to come in and loop. They, they hmm. we couldn't animate to their performances, which was pretty limiting. Right. But he got us Anne Hathaway and Glenn Close, and Jim Belushi uh, and several other names like that. Mm. And, you know, it really did help. It, it, it created a comfort level for parents. They yeah. saw the names on the poster. And then it was that just crazy, like everything you ever dreamed of, as far as two weeks before the movie opens, I'm going to my local movie theater and seeing posters for my movie on the <laughs> wall. I'm seeing a cardboard stand-up of my characters. <laughs> and I, like, I, like, I, I would stand nearby it and listen to people walk by and go, what's that? Hoodwink, look at that. Hmm. Well, that looks funny. I would go to theaters when the trailer was running. And go to movies just to see my trailer. Yeah. And hear people around me. Man, it is, especially in L.A., it is like open mic night for your movie. It is ruthless. Because <laughs> they'll show like about four or five trailers. And after a trailer, you know if somebody wants to go see it or not. And you'll hear yeah. mumbling of like, well, that looks awful. Yeah. Or, wow. You know, you just hear sounds people are making. And I, I would hear after Hoodwinked, I'd hear people laugh and go, mm-hmm. oh, that sounds pretty good. I, I, one guy actually slapped his knee sitting next to me. I'm like, <laughs> I got a knee slap. <laughs> so, and then the opening weekend is, is almost like uh, being in a political campaign and waiting for the polls to come in. Yeah. Is your candidate going to win? And it was a, a four-day Martin Luther King weekend. And for three of those days, we thought we were number one. Hmm. Like, we were freaking out. Yeah. Like, it was double expectations. I think it made $16 million its opening weekend. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, the Bruckheimer Disney film, Glory Road, the basketball oh, film, yeah, yeah. beat us by $50,000. It's one uh. of the tightest races ever on that weekend. And uh, so we were number two. And, and we stayed in the top five that first month. And, you know, it just kept going. Yeah. And I, what's, what's sad to me is that the story was not told as much in the press of how cheap it was made and that it was this underdog story. Yeah. Because I think the marketing was set up to say, oh, it's the new film from Harvey Weinstein. And right. And they kind of did the Toy Story marketing plan with all mm. the posters. Each poster had a character, an individual right. character on it. So they really wanted to present it as it's another one of those big animated films that your kids love to go see. So not a lot of people know, only now recently, they're kind of finding out the underdog story of this film. Mm-hmm. How crazy it is that it even got made, got to theaters. It's bizarre. It's still bizarre to me. Yeah, it is a shame that uh, that, as you say, the underdog story is not trumpeted a little bit more because it might inspire yeah. other people to Well, sometimes do it. it works. In, like for Paranormal Activity, that was the whole story. Right, right. You got to see this little film that was made for nothing. But for, for our film, it was kind of like, let's they, they really marketed it straight to eight-year-olds. Yeah. Right down the middle. 
uh, you know, it was a safer marketing plan. But really, the big compliment to me is when eight-year-olds, kids drag their parents to the theater, but the parents come out fans. Yeah. College kids are fans. Yeah. That's the biggest compliment to me because we really wrote it for people our age. Mm. Like, I, I, I kept saying all through it, let's not write a, a kid's film. Let's write a, a great uh, action comedy yeah. that happens to be animated. So, um, And so, uh, so it did well. It was yeah. a success. Uh, and then... I assume that that opened uh, a lot of doors for you. Yes, it did. Such as what? Such as, well, I I can get a meeting with, uh, you know, almost anybody in hmm. town now, at least at a, at a certain uh, executive level at all the studios. Yeah. And um, the biggest door it opened is the week after it came out and did so well, uh, Tony Leach, my other co-director and co-writer, he had an idea for a movie. Mm-hmm about a bunch of aliens staging a jailbreak out of Area 51 hmm. called Escape from Planet Earth. And he said, you want to co-write this with me? So the week after Hoodwink came out, everybody wanted to know who these people were that made this movie. Nobody would heard of us. I mean, yeah. we'd taken meetings before, but, you know, we're one of thousands of people that are trying to get meetings. So now it's like our, our movie's number two at the box office. We go out that week. We pitch to six different studios. Hmm. We pitch this movie. And... um we get six offers. We get mm-hmm. a bidding war going. And that was just very exciting. And so that, that now, that project is rolling in Vancouver with Tony directing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of happened. And, and, and several other rewrite assignments happened for the Weinstein Company. Uh, we got to do some writing on the Ninja Turtles animated movie that just nice. came out uh, a couple years ago. Um, which, you know, put us in rooms with like um, David Goyer. Oh, yeah. You know? You gotta be kidding me! Like the guy that worked on the Dark Knight, and like we're like sitting in a room with him, talking about story ideas for the Ninja Turtles. You know, it, it got me meetings with the Clone Wars people. So I'm sitting yeah. with Dave Filoni uh, and talking about Yoda and Star Wars, and and you know, I almost got a chance to direct one of those. So even stuff that I didn't get a chance to do, yeah. I got all these great meetings with all of my heroes. Yeah. Uh, uh, as far as these entities, and and then it put me in in uh, a room with the Jim Henson people. Mm-hmm. And that's led me to writing and directing Fraggle Rock, the movie. That's what I'm working on right now. And yeah. to, to grow up with the Muppets and, and now to be like on the lot yeah. with the Jim Henson people and talking to Brian Henson and Lisa Henson, Jim's mm-hmm. kids. It's crazy. So yeah, Fraggle Rock is, is one of the, like when I heard that, I was like, wow, really? You know, uh-huh. that's really exciting. And then I would tell my friends, you know, who were about the same age, because uh-huh. that was that was on right when I was a kid, and, and I, uh, uh, oddly enough, I didn't love it. But <laughs> it's one of those things where, in retrospect, I'm like, I think I like it now, but I didn't like when I was well, younger. Well, I didn't grow up with it. I, I didn't get HBO, but, yeah. but I love the Muppets, and the more I've come to study Fraggle Rock and what it was about, I mean, it's it's like Muppets with a purpose. It's mm-hmm. Muppets with mythology behind it. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of like, it's it's actually the most suitable Muppet property to become a movie, I think. Yeah. Because Kermit and Piggy and Fozzie, they're, they're just kind of like vaudevillian performers. Right. That you kind of have to find a universe to put them in each movie. Yeah. But Fraggles, like, the universe is there. It's ready for a movie. And, and, and you talk about being able to say something positive to the world. Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm getting to write and direct the movie gives me a lot of control over what we're saying with the movie. Yeah. And it's all about themes of, um, you know, grace and forgiveness and finding your purpose in life. And what do we value in the society? Is mm-hmm. it technology? Is it the distractions of media and Facebook and our phones or is it human relationships? Yeah. Are we taking care of the earth? Like I get to say all this stuff in this simple kids film. Yeah. So it's a very exciting project to work on. 
When uh, when will it be? Uh, when will it be out? I know yeah. that's going to be a <laughs> that's a question it's be I've a while. been asking. <laughs> uh, I am in the I am in the part of the process called development. Yeah, we've had we've we're several drafts in now. Everybody seems to like the script, but I keep getting notes and uh, you know it's it's getting the studio, which uh, is the Weinstein company yeah. getting them to pull the trigger and move into production right now um and that's been going on for a while mm-hmm. it's a little frustrating i gotta be honest um but you know it's a new year i'm optimistic there you go um you know we i would i would hope to be making it this year but i was saying that last year so yeah. so i got a lot of i got a lot of uh irons in the fire yeah in case that doesn't happen but i feel like it's it's the thing that has the most potential to be made this year yeah absolutely i mean it does have you know, uh, a built-in audience. I, mean, I hesitate to put a time frame on it because people right. were doing that last year. I saw a lot of fan sites that were like, you know, you go on the Internet Movie Database and there's a date on there. And then when you don't hit that date, then they're like, everybody starts saying, what's wrong? <laughs> like, just movies take a long time to get set up. That's all yeah. I can say. It's amazing. You'll, I, I, I swear you could, have, you could have like 20th Century Fox with a script by, written by Spielberg himself starring Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. And that thing still might fall apart. There's just yeah. so many working parts to getting a movie together to shoot that it's just like. Well, I, I mean, uh, Spider-Man Four just yeah. fell apart, and that's the fourth in a very successful franchise. Right, right. Yeah. And suddenly, there's this kind of like creative impasse where the director wants to do one thing, studio wants to do another. Yeah, I've been in rooms like that, and it's like, how bad do you want to make a movie that you feel like is, you know, I'm sure Sam Raimi is in a place where he's like, I don't need to make this movie. Yeah. And I feel like you're about to make a movie that I don't want to make that might be bad. That you know, he just doesn't want to be on that movie anymore. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Um, and then ha- uh, I know that you're you're still in development, but uh, would you would you make Fraggle Rock with the? I'm reluctant to say puppets because that's that's uh-huh. demeaning. Oh with no, you the can Muppets? say puppets. Yeah. I mean, would you do it that way? Like the uh, oh, we are going to do it that way. Of, okay. Oh yeah. God is my witness. We are going to do it old school <laughs> Muppet style. I All mean, right. a lot of people have asked about that. If there's any CGI enhancement, it's not going to be animated or anything. It's right. We are going to use today's movie technology mm-hmm. to help the puppets okay. be as real as possible. Okay. That means hire, hiding wires or puppeteers yeah. you know, with, with CGI and, and modern technology. And we're also going to like make the caves and the environments bigger with, with right. you know... Uh, digital matte painting and stuff like that. Yeah. It's going to look like a modern movie, but we're going to use puppets. Nice. Because there, there's something so charming about seeing puppets. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is, but, I mean, in every fan of, of that series or any Muppet stuff is like, please tell me you're using puppets. And right, my, right. My answer is, of course. There's, there's a magical thing. When you see Kermit the Frog riding a bike out on location, yeah. Fozzie Bear driving a real car, you just know it's really happening. So the Fraggles are going to really be in our world, okay. having an adventure. And you'll know they're physically there. Okay. As it should be. Yes. Um, and then Ho- uh, Hoodwink 2. Hoodwink 2. So what is uh, that came out? You wrote it, right? <laughs> right. But you didn't direct it's it. It's not out yet. It's not out yet. Okay. Here's another Here's another question I don't know an answer to. Uh, yeah. Tony and Todd and I wrote the script. Okay. It was directed by uh, a different person. Yeah. For uh, many reasons. Okay. But uh, he, you know, he did his version of our script. And they, I've seen a rough cut of the film or a, a cut like a year ago, mm-hmm. but I think they're still tinkering with it and they're still trying to figure out a release date. And the release date was this January, 2010. Okay. That's... Then it was February. Now I'm hearing it might be September. 
Yeah. Uh, the Burger King toys are already out, so <laughs> they kind of missed the boat on that. You know, there's like a Target that that Burger King already put out the toys, and uh, the movie's still not out yet. I have no idea when it's coming out. Okay. No idea. All right. So I'm write just... your congressman. Demand the movie. I don't even know who my congressman is. I'm, <laughs> I'm so irresponsible. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, okay. Well, I'm just making sure I'm not insane right. because I was like, I thought that our like. I remember I was looking, you know, I was looking at the release date. Let's start said, the rumor that it already came out and it was a big success. <laughs> and now we're making a third one. It gave, it gave Avatar a run yeah. for its money. Right, right. But, uh, hey, you just can't stop that camera machine, you know. Right. But, uh, but you, you, you tried. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're getting, uh, oh, my. We've gone longer than I expected. That's exciting. I'm long-winded. Uh, hey, it's you. perfectly fine. It's, uh, you know, you, you've been very successful. Take all the wind you want, um, but the uh, so uh, one la- one question that I that I ask everybody, um, and it sounds like I, I I think I might already know your answer is that you know you are you're a Christian you're you don't try and hide it right um, have what kind of uh, attitudes have you run across in Hollywood uh, in regards to that has has there been any been any like opposition to that or are people kind of cool with it Well, I like to say you know in L A. Everybody, I mean, we, you know, you got people in L.A. that, like, have opened an oxygen bar or, mm-hmm. like, worship trees. You know, it's like, yeah. it's okay to be the weird Christian in the room. Yeah. It really is. I mean, and I guess I'm old enough now that I don't care about it. There was a time when I kind of kind of hit it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not like I, I would... I would deny I was a Christian if asked. Hide it under a bushel. Yeah. No. But I didn't, I wasn't flag waving it in every room. And I don't know that I still, you know, wave a flag or anything, but, yeah. but now it's just like, I, you know, I don't care. It's like, yeah. they're, they're, you know, Christian themed stuff and family market stuff makes a lot of money. So there's a lot of respect for it out there. And the other thing I'll say is that, is that I don't think Hollywood's like this um, multi-headed entity, this, this, this. There's this one mantra or agenda mm-hmm. to squash Christian stuff. Right. I think there's a lot of agendas out there. And the sole agenda is to make money and sell tickets. Yeah. So it goes back to entertainment first, message second. If I do good work, if I turn in good scripts, have good ideas for movies, yeah. they they really don't care at all. I, I haven't I haven't seen a lot of prejudice about it. Okay. Um I have I have been in situations where you gotta ask yourself, um, you know, well, you say you're a Christian, you need to not take this job. Yeah. I've been presented with things to direct uh, a very popular fantasy kids series that uh, I was hounded to direct. And once I read the book, I was like, wow, this is full of woodland witchcraft. I Mm. really can't justify doing this. No, I can't. Um, And my wife is a good sounding board for that, too. We have a lot of discussions because in the realm of fantasy and science fiction, you can jump around a a lot and you can say something is a metaphor for God. Right. Um, I just really have to have my answers clear for myself Mm -hmm. to proceed because because I have Christian friends to answer to and, 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 you know, I have God to answer to. There's that. I want to be able to stand before him and say that, I you know, I, I, you know, I I talked about him in my stories. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's. It's more of a personal uh, challenge yeah. to continue to ask myself, am I telling the stories I should be? Right. Am I sending out the messages I should be? But I haven't encountered a lot of like, uh, you know, producers or studios that right. they're like, well, let's not hire him. Yeah. Uh, on the contrary, I've, I've, kind of, I've been brought into some situations where somebody wants to make like an animated story about the nativity, the, yeah. an, the animals at the nativity. And they're like, <laughs> 
we'll call that Corey Edwards because doesn't he isn't he a Christian? <laughs> you know, like so sometimes it, it it's to your benefit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's. It's just one of those interesting things, you know, and like somebody's into yoga. Oh, that Corey, he's a he's one of those good Christian kids, <laughs> you know. So basically, it sounds like you're saying uh, and we'll we'll perhaps end on this on this note. Um, you know, what you said is in Hollywood, the product is kind of the, you know, product and, and making money is uh-huh. kind of, the, you know, uh, the the order of the day. Uh, and so if you if you put out a good product what you believe it's not necessarily that it doesn't matter but it won't be a hindrance and uh-huh. so you know I, one of the things i'm trying to do with this podcast as i as i've said before is that uh, i i try to encourage christians who don't live in hollywood but feel like maybe they should uh-huh. uh because they have artistic ambitions but feel like oh i don't know it's a it's a hellish place out there right uh-huh. um but uh you know uh that it's not, it's not a terrible place, right? It's, you know, there's you'll run across all types, just as you would anywhere else, I would say. But, uh, but at the same time, like, and you won't, I don't think you'll run across a whole lot of opposition, as long as you are true to what you feel you're supposed to be doing and you do it well. Yeah, you know what, I, I found I get a lot of respect if I'm just upfront about stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not wishy washy about it, and uh, you know. I, I don't respond to that material. You know, mm-hmm. that's something a director could say a lot, you know, but, uh, or that, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I, that's not what I want to say to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody in this town respects that from the director, the writer, the artist, they're trying to, you know, bring into their stable of, right. of directors. Um, they might not understand the Christian faith, yeah. but if I, as an artist say, that's not what I'm interested in doing. That's not what I'm interested in saying. Yeah. Here's what I'm interested in saying. Most of the Christian principles that that we grew up on yeah. are universal principles mm-hmm. and truths that that a lot of people, whether they know it or not, they they anchor themselves to. Even secular producers, mm-hmm. uh, they they respond to good stories, and a lot of good stories, most good stories, come out of this Judeo Christian kind of ethics that that most of us would agree mm-hmm. uh, you should live your life by. So. You know, I don't know if I'm saying anything. If I, I don't know if I'm landing on a point here, um, but it's it's it's. Res- I think you're respected if if you just kind of are upfront about this is who I am. This is what yeah. I do as an artist. Yeah. Um, and, and and again, it's like if you do good work, that that kicks the door open for you. There's a. I, I want to mention this because there's a huge uh, 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 example that leaps out from Avatar since it is the okay. most successful film in the universe now. Mm-hmm. Um, when so most people have probably seen it. But when Jake Sully, as as the Avatar warrior, when, mm-hmm. when he says, you know, he he is now like hated by everyone by the end of the film. Right. He's hated by this Navi tribe. He's hated by the humans. The scientists don't want him. The military doesn't want him. And he's like standing there while ashes are pouring down from the burned yeah. tree. Nobody wants him. How is he going to go back to these these big blue people and yeah. convince them to rally as an army? And the one thing he can do is do this this. I forget what it is. He's got to ride that giant orange bird Yeah, that nobody's ridden for generations. So when he comes flying in on that giant orange bird, mm-hmm. like everybody that's had prejudices against him, everybody that, that like, well, I don't know if he's a real Navi. I don't know if he's a real warrior. When he comes flying in on that giant orange bird that no mm-hmm. one's ever done for a hundred years, like everybody just kind of like 
says, what do, you, what do you need? We're behind you. Yeah. You're the real deal. And I kind of see that as like, if you do good work, yeah. if you do a script that somebody can't put down, if you make a movie that, you know, your average skateboarding 17 year old just goes, that is cool. You can say whatever you want to them. And if that is yeah. a big Christian message, you can say it because yeah. you've already commanded their respect. You've written in on that giant orange bird. I wish yeah. I knew the name of it. This would be yeah, a much geekier talking. reference then. <laughs> you are the mock towel, whatever they call him. Um, and I found that in doing stand-up comedy, I, I've done stand-up comedy in, in you know, some of the toughest rooms in this town. Hmm. When I was at the comedy store, I was like this, this nobody new guy at a showcase. But then when I walk up there and I kill for eight minutes, hmm. I go back there and all these seasoned comics are like, what's your name again, man? Hey, man, yeah. good job. What's, they all wanted to like shoot the breeze with me yeah, because the work spoke for itself. And it wasn't like, oh, that was clean comedy. You you didn't work blue. It was just right. like, man, that was a funny set, man. You killed. Yeah. And that commands respect. So that's my, I guess that's my final statement today. Yeah. Do good work. Right. I mean, that's the, that's, you know, it's uh, something I mentioned in one of the earlier episodes is that like a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, actually once, he, I don't remember exactly the way he phrased it, but it hit my ear just the right way that it's just like God calling you to do something isn't isn't the end of it that's not the automatic end yeah. right that's if anything the beginning oh my wife used to work for a publishing christian publishing company she would yeah. get manuscripts uh, with a note tacked on the front god gave me this book so i don't expect there to be any changes <laughs> oh really like when, and when so when i say do good work i also say do the work right which means you may have to write 15 drafts you may have to spend three years on that script yeah or you may have to have a bunch of notes thrown in your face or be told no yeah a lot in this yeah. town and it's part of the work. It's mm-hmm. part of the work. And and I think that Christian, quote-unquote, Christian content, Christian movies, mm-hmm. there's a point where people give up. They just, just don't want to do the work, I think, in the Christian arenas. Yeah. And that's why a lot of that entertainment doesn't measure up. Yeah. So, hey, everybody out there, just get to work, man. <laughs> do the good stuff. All right. Well, I think that's uh, I think that is a great note to end on. Also, we've been going for an hour, so um, <laughs> I want to be on record as your your longest podcast. Ever. Oh no, my long winded friend Josh. Uh, okay, he won that. Okay, uh, uh, yeah. Well, that, hopefully, it was a cozy chat that nobody oh, turned off halfway through. <laughs> well, I hope so. And no, I th- I think it was very interesting. So don't don't worry. Now, do you have uh, do you have a website that uh, someone oh, yeah. can can go to and CoreyEdwards dot com C O R Y Don't put an E in there C O R Y E-D-W-A-R-D-S, CoreyEdwards.com. All right. And uh, also, I don't know if you, I think you can get it on iTunes, but there's the uh, the Steelhouse podcast, S-T-E-E-L-E-H-O-U-S-E, Steelhouse podcast. I do five minutes a week on that where I All do right. a commentary on the entertainment industry or pop culture. All right. So if you want to hear my, my wonderful voice every week. If you if you <laughs> fell in love with these tones, and I can't imagine that you didn't. Oh, yeah. Then, uh, then tune in to Steelhouse podcast. But- yeah, and, and CoreyEdwards.com, I have a blog that I'm trying to keep up. So if you want to know what, what's going on with my films, okay. I try to be very interactive, and you can post a comment, okay. and people can get a hold of me. All right. I love it. And uh, as always, uh, you can uh, get me and uh, various other uh, bloggers and such at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Uh, let's see. You can participate in the forums. So you can talk to me and uh, other listeners. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, please subscribe to the show. I would really appreciate that. That's how I know how many people are listening. Um, and, hey, you know what? While you're on iTunes, why not write a nice review? That would really... Di- not a bad one. No, no. Hang on. Slow down. A nice one. I'd really appreciate that. Thanks, everybody. And give this one five stars, this particular show. 
if the, yes, I don't think that's possible. But do it. Do fig, <laughs> write iTunes, make it a possibility, and off we go. So, uh, Corey, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right, and I'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>